this morning. Some have written 40 messages on John chapter 17. Um, I intended maybe two or three, but we're going to do one. Uh, I think, again, it's... Regardless of how many times uh, we look at it, uh, or how many sections, we, sometimes my caution is that we dissect things without looking at the beauty of how it all flows together as well. We can, you know, you realize this is something that was really read, it seemed to be at one time, and not looking at it in chunks and then coming back and looking at a piece and coming back. The whole flow of the letter is something that I hope that we all, you read on your own. Of, the, of this, of not only the Bible, but the Gospel of John, and certainly John chapter 17. Uh, I hope that the pieces that we do look at together will build uh, connections for you, not only from how it is written, but also the understanding of who God is as we read this uh, book together. So let's read John chapter 17. I'll read as we're hoping you open up your Bibles and follow along. With me as I read from John chapter 17. Remember this is just context. This is Jesus' prayer uh, to the Father. This is his private or actually his personal prayer. He makes it uh, very public. Which we see in the Bible of public prayers of, uh, of God's people. Now we have the, the public but intimate uh, personal prayer that Jesus gives uh, to us for our benefit uh, so that we may be able to understand that Jesus, being the Son of God, being the second person of the Trinity, saw a need to pray. Uh, How much more shall we pray? When Jesus had spoken these words, these words in the upper room, the final farewell discourse of chapter 13 on, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come, glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all you have given him. Now, stopping, just see how many times the word given or give is used, okay? Since you have have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him, and this is eternal life that you may that you know that they know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now Father glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now, they know everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them, and I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not, 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 and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves." I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the wor- I am out of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, notice that, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you, ha- as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they may also, uh, 
that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they, or so that they may, be, they may be even one as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you've loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am so to see me to, excuse me, I'm sorry, to see my glory that you, may, that you have given me because you loved me before the foundations of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name and will continue to make it known that the love which with, with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this intimate prayer, this personal prayer, this powerful prayer of Jesus that you have allowed us to be able to read and to observe with our eyes as we read these words. And we thank you, Father, for giving them to these disciples, these apostles, uh, and also, Lord, to those who are here today and for those who will become your children or are your children and will be recognized and be and understand to be your children. Lord, I pray that you be with us as we come to understand how important and how powerful these words are to us today. As they mean so much to us now, Father, that they remind us of your love. Remind us of how much you desire to have us in your life and for you to be in our life. Lord, we thank you for this and pray that again by your power, by your spirit, you will make these things known to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So powerful are these words. I mean, I hope you've been able to grasp this. This is pretty powerful stuff. For us to be one as Jesus and the Father are one, to love as much as the Father and the Son love each other are just profound things that are so big that there is no way for us to get our arms wrapped around those. That's a lifelong uh, journey that God has given us, a quest, a desire, I hope, that God has put in your heart to remember these words, to go back to these words, and to realize that how much the Father loves us in this prayer, how much Jesus loves us in this prayer, is pretty profound. Uh, He desires to have this relationship with his disciples uh, and that we may have this relationship with him now, and for just a taste of it, to imagine what it's going to be like for all eternity. And so we, as you hear me say, we have this relationship now. For those of us who love the Lord, that this is only a foretaste of what God promises us for all eternity. Our relationship here was started here with the Father and the Son who have called us before the foundations of the world to be part of his family so that you and I may start this relationship and carry it on for all eternity, which is a long time. (laughs) All eternity is a long time. And so I know we have our lumps and our bumps here. We have our issues. Uh, And the church looks ugly sometimes to the world. But we have to reclaim that. We have to understand that. We have to gather that in our hearts and in our minds and in our spirit that this is God's plan for us. This is God's desire for us. This is how God wants us to look, regardless of how other people are doing it. If nobody else does it in a church, the responsibility is for us to embrace this. And so this is why... We can talk about every church doctrine that there is. We can talk about what the church is supposed to look like. We can go through the scriptures and do every metaphor, every symbol, every analogy that what the church is supposed to look like. But to me, this is pretty profound in a few sentences. 
who we are. And who we are makes all the difference of how we live and how we breathe. As you've heard me say a few times, as my professor Sinclair Ferguson said, as the queen told the children going out of the, out of the, out of the castle, royal blood, royal behavior. And that's who we are. Because we represent Jesus. Notice how many times Jesus said, so that, so that, the world may know who you are and who we are. And the responsibility we have, as sometimes as practical atheists as we may live, and think throughout the week, that we are given a call by God to live a life that he's already secured for us. He's already called us to live by. And I'm thankful to be here. I'm thankful to be a part of this ministry, especially at this time in my life when, you know, being here where everybody, other people are going through the same kinds of things that in my stage of my life, Susie and I are going through with my mom, is really, it was really a, a blessing to have people pray because they totally understand what it is like to do this, even at this time, is a great blessing for us. Also, what's important for me is to be able to be doing this because for you because it prepares me and it helps me because folks there is just so much stuff going on in my life and in your life that there is it is so easy for me to to actually compartmentalize me being a pastor me being a christian and then i've got all these other things to do and that's what happens my, I mean, this is a place where I am convicted of my own devotional life and my own biblical reading and my own understanding of what I'm calling you to do is everything that I'm calling I'm supposed to be doing myself. And to be able to come here and realize I cannot stand up in here saying that, man, life has gotten in the way. And I understand that life gets in the way and things get in the way and people get in the way and snow gets in the way. You know, I mean, we're all tired of that stuff. I mean, we're tired of the snow, we're tired of the cold. It adds just burden to our life, and then on top of other things, we can just sit down and say, I'm tired, I, can't, I just need some time for myself. And so we do things that we want to do for ourselves, forgetting that we are called, even in our quiet time, and in our personal time, in our time when nobody else is looking, to realize that it's a devotion to God that we're still, still continuing to do. So I totally stand here and I understand, wow, this is... You know, like life is just can get in the way and I can just totally forget about me and my calling by God. Not as a pastor, but as a follower of Christ to do the things that are going to, that he's given me to do, that's going to pre uh, prevent me from falling into traps. And this is what Jesus is praying for. He's praying for you and for me here. So when we follow this along, we realize that Jesus... He's, his eye, he's lifting his eyes up to heaven. He's lifting his eyes up to the Father, which is a posture of prayer that you can find in Scripture. That people lift their eyes up to heaven. But notice the humility when the story that Jesus tells of the tax collector. And he goes in and he goes in and he goes pounding his chest. When, you know, when he just says, Lord, and, and the other guy goes in and he says, Lord, I'm, I'm not worthy. He doesn't even look up. He puts his head down because he doesn't even think he deserves to even lift his eyes up to heaven. And the other one thinks that he feels that he has a right to lift his eyes up because he is so good and he's done all the right things and his resume proves it. And so we look at there and now Jesus is lifting his eyes up to the heavens and he says to his father, well... It's time, and he's, we've been talking about this time, and again, it's not an hour. It's in a very elastic time that we've been looking at. He says, to glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Now, Jesus is praying. Now, notice how he prays this. This is called a high priestly prayer. It's not the Lord's prayer. It is really Jesus' prayer. It is the Lord's prayer, but it's not the Lord's prayer that we know. This is Jesus not teaching us how to pray. He's praying. But by praying, he's teaching us. The problem as professional prayers, you know, I mean, as a professional prayer, Pastor, why don't you pray? Because that's my job, right? I pray. You guys, as you've heard, it, you know, I'm not going to say that. It, it's, 
as you've heard as you've heard it say that you know that this is you know we can hear pastors and i've had to caution myself that we're preaching in our prayers you know we're 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 making sure that people get what we want to because we want them to get the point and you know really what prayer is is a conversation with with the father it's a it's a conversation it's it's not to be contrived it should be it should be thought out it should be honest it should be heartfelt but you know it needs to be respectful and it needs to be theologically correct even though you know when people are hearing it and that's what i need to make sure i go through the process of 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 not going through of how sometimes my heart really feels about things because sometimes we do get angry with god sometimes we just don't get it and sometimes we just are quiet to the lord and just going that i just don't understand lord and we don't have a conversation with him but Jesus is, is, is here teaching us and providing for us what he really believes and what he thinks about who we are and brings it to the Father. He's not, he's talking to God, but he's he, his Father, but he's so, it just drips theologically because it's not contrived, it's how he thinks. And how we think is how be biblical. We, I mean, our prayers should be full of scripture. It should be full of of what the thoughts that God gives us, we should be theologically correct when we pray. Because if we're not, then we, who are we praying to? And you need to be cautious, because sometimes I've had people in churches pray, and I, can, and I cringe when they pray out loud. I cringe, because their theology comes out, and I'm going, oh, I hope people didn't hear that one. I hope people didn't hear what that person just prayed. And it's important how we pray. And it's important how we pray privately. It's important how we pray publicly. And it's an, immensely, it's an immense privilege to pray. I'm not, I'm not poo-pooing the fact that you're asking me to pray. I like praying out loud. I, I, I enjoy doing it. <laughs> you know, so I don't want you to think, oh, you're not going to ask Pastor Jim to pray anymore. I do. I like praying. Uh, but, uh, you know, for all of us, it's, it's, we all are called by God to have those conversations, and that's what Jesus does for us. And notice, sometimes we don't go to the Father, and, you know, we don't adore the Father, we don't pray to the Father the right way. Sometimes we go, and it's not a bad thing to sometimes just throw out some prayers that are just, in, we're just in tremendous need, that we give those to the Father right away. But notice what Jesus does here. Jesus is a high priest. And he's interceding. Even though he says his request is, as his first five verses are, about himself, notice what these prayers are about himself. Father, glorify me because I deserve it? No, glorify me so that I may glorify you. Sometimes we pray, Lord, help us out of this so I can glorify you. And sometimes we just pray, Lord, just get us out of this mess. Or help us do this. Or help us with that. Jesus has a reason, a purpose for praying the way he does. He's interceding for us. Notice he says, this is why it's his high priestly prayer. I am praying for those. And if we go to Romans chapter 8, if we go to Hebrews chapter 7, we see that there is this this role of Jesus, bring this high priest for us, interceding as the priests used to put on the tunic, and in the tunic were engraved the names of Israel, the tribes of Israel, the stones that were, engra- that were uh, embroidered into the tunic represented the nation of Israel, so that every time the high priest went into the Holy of Holies, he was interceding for all the people that those embroidered names and those stones represented. And that's what Jesus is doing. But he's not dressing up in a costume like the high priest did. The book of Hebrews tells us that the high priest had to get dressed up in a costume. Jesus is the costume. Jesus is actually all the righteousness that the, that the high priest had to put on. Jesus didn't have to put on any of that. He is it. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the light. He is everything that the high priest who had to go, if you go to Exodus, if you go to Leviticus, you see the high priest had to get ready. He had to sacrifice for himself because he was a sinner. He had to wash himself because he was a sinner before he could go take care of the sins 
of the nation. Jesus doesn't have to do that because he's sinless. And so he's saying to the Father, let me be consecrated. Let me be glorified in a completely different way. But as those priests were pointing to, whether they knew it or not, in their costume, in their language, in their rites, and in their rituals, who were they pointing to? Jesus. Not to be replicated. No holy of holies, no holy ornamentation, no holy robes, no nothing about that. All of the things that it says, all the promises, are a yes and amen in Jesus, Paul writes. And so he fulfills everything. And so we have now, as book of Hebrews tells us, we, know, we, we now have a high priest that no, does not need to be sacrificed for, does not need to take a bath, does not need to be anything, because it's Jesus. He is better than anything. So don't go backwards. That's what the problem with the book of Hebrews were. These people being persecuted for being a Christian, they said, hey, maybe I ought to become back a Jew again. Maybe Jesus wasn't enough. And so we see all those warnings in the book of Hebrews over and over again. He's saying, listen, it's tough, but don't go back. Just think how much better, how much more is a phrase that you find so much in the book of Hebrews because everything that you thought that you grasped onto before is meaningless in the light of Christ. Jesus fulfills it all. So this is why Jesus, this prayer for, by Jesus is a high priestly prayer because what he is doing now, he's not only taking these disciples, he's bringing all of us before the very face of God, which is quite a wonderful thing. He says in verse 2, since you have given me, again, no, there's a lot of given here. Since you have given me authority, what, what did Jesus do? What is this glorifying Jesus? Jesus wants to be glorified so that because he's been given authority over all of creation, he now has the ability and the right and the privilege to give eternal life to all that the Father has given. That's what glorification is. That's what Jesus wants. Jesus says, Father, give it to me. Do it for me. Do it. Let's do it. He says, and this is eternal life. What is eternal life? That, you know, that they know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. He's talking about himself here. What is eternal life? That they know who Jesus is. Not that they've jumped through all the hoops. Not because they've said the right things. Not because they've been holy people. But because they know who the Holy One is. And that's our hope. That's why we tell people, why do you, when, when you're going to die, or when you're talking to the Lord, or when you're worshiping, why do you have any kind of assurance that God cares about you one inch? Or why do you care, why do you think God cares about you when you die? And the answer is because Jesus has made it known to us that he is the one who has, God has sent to be the payment for and the perfection of life that God demands. That's what eternal life is, so that we may know who he is. And you go back to the interpretation or, the tr or this understanding of this rolling out of First and Second and Third John, that's what John says over and over again, that you may know, that you may know, that you may know. He says, I glorified you on earth, earth, having accomplished the work, and there's nothing left. Jesus hasn't omitted a thing. He's accomplished everything that he needs to do. That's why he says, it is finished. There's nothing left. You and I forget to do things. You and I omit things. You know, we, people need help. Oh, they're out of our mind, out of our sight. We just forget to help them. We know they need help. We don't help them. We know we need to be praying. Well, we don't do it. We know we need to be at church. We don't come. We know we don't do We omit a lot of things that God looks upon and frowns upon. Jesus didn't omit anything. He accomplished everything. He committed it, and he never omitted anything. I've glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Remember, now, you can't take things out of context here. In, John's, uh, in John chapter 17, 
without understanding the flow of everything that has come before. Jesus is repeating themes upon themes upon themes of everything he's talked about in the last 16 chapters. So if you have to understand John chapter 17, you can't start with John 17. You've got to start with John 1. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, I've always existed. Remember we talked about this? We've said, we've said it in 1 John. We read about this in um, you know, Ephesians, that famous run-on sentence of, of, a first Ephesians, of a chapter 1 of Ephesians. Blessed be God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in Christ in every blessing. Chapter 1 of Ephesians. Spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, which means that we may not have existed, but he did. That we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for the adoptions as son through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace to which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the richness of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to the purpose that he has set forth to in, in Christ. Before Jesus, before we ever existed, Jesus existed. We've seen that Jesus has said that to the hatred of the Pharisees, to the hatred of those in Israel who don't like seeing the Savior come because they, he's ruining their life. And so he says, in verse 1 through 5, he is talking about himself here. He's saying, Lord, I've always been here. The prophets have said that Jesus has always existed. And now the Messiah is coming in the flesh. God himself is coming. Emmanuel, God with us. That's the wonderful story of Christmas. That Jesus is co-equal with the Father. In essence and being. Though different, we see. We don't see Jesus and the Father going, oh, wait a minute, I'm in the way. Oh, we're, we're stepping on each other's toes. Oh, wait a minute, we're doing the same things. We see completely different roles by two completely different persons. And in the Trinity, three completely different persons but yet still very God, very eternal. And we see this, which is so important. And then in verse 6 on, he goes, now he says, for he prays for his disciples. And notice how he prays. I've manifested your name. And notice the purpose of Jesus coming is to be a witness. And now our job is to be a witness. It's the disciples' job to be a witness, to make sure that Jesus' name is known. And his name means something. We talked about how a name means something. And in Jesus, and in God, and in the Holy Spirit, and in God the Father, their name has all these attributes just dripping off of it. And so if we talk with people about who Jesus is, we need to make sure that they understand who Jesus is. I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave. Now notice, Jesus so loved the world, God so loved the world that he sent his son, that the scope of his love is worldwide and not just stuck in the Middle East and to one people. It is now to all the world. But his redemption and his love is to a particular people. And that is the people who he died for. And who is he died for? He dies for Jews and he dies for Gentiles because they are now the people of God. Israel was the chosen people of God, and God took away his, 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 his presence. He took away because they deserted him. They disobeyed him, and his spirit left until Christ came. And now Christ is the, is the, is the Lord and Savior of not only Gentiles, but now Jews who are complete in their understanding who the Messiah is. So now we see that the scope of love is to a particular group of people. Jesus did not die for the sins of the entire world because that would be universalism. And he didn't die for the sins of the entire world. That means that he would, everybody goes to heaven when they die. 
But this is what Jesus, notice he talks about a particular group of people. This is common grace, and then there's special grace. And then there's a common call, which I'm doing to you. I'm speaking out loud to everyone, but the, 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 the special calling or the effect of calling is going on in your heart by the power of the Holy Spirit right now. I am not affecting anything inside of you. I am speaking out the words that God has given, the work that God does is a special work inside of you. And if it doesn't happen, I can sit here and make the best argument in the world, you're never going to believe me. I'm not going to change anybody. He says, to whom you have given me out of the world. God's people live in this world, and so what does he do? He pulls them out of the world. And notice how he does it as we continue to read. He goes, yours they were, you gave them to me. They have kept your word. Now the disciples, do you and I believe that these men have kept God's word perfectly? To say it's a done deal? Jesus hasn't died yet. But notice how Jesus is so assured of what he's going to do that he actually considers them obedient. Because you and I, when we die, we can't go to heaven and say, I've done it all, Jesus. I've done it all. I've done everything you wanted me to do. We can't say that, but we say, what? Jesus, you're the one that did everything. We trust in who you are. We trust in your work that you've accomplished for me because I could not do it. And so what Jesus is looking at is that he is proclaiming in his prayer a done deal. That everybody, even those, the, those apostles who were next to Jesus, that they are perfectly obedient. And to consider them perfectly obedient because of what Jesus is doing. The work that Jesus has accomplished. Which I think is pretty profound. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. Notice now that what they do, what they have understood is that they got it that Jesus has been sent by God to do God's work. The Father's work. They come to understand that. They don't know everything. They're still going to run away. They're still going to desert Jesus. Peter's still going to curse who Jesus is. They're still going to run away in fear and lock themselves behind doors. And then they're going to realize when the Spirit of God comes upon them, when they see Jesus' resurrection from the dead, they're going to say, wow, he really, it, it, this is really him. For verse 8 says, For I have given them the words that you gave me. These are words, exact words that came from God. This is what we have in front of us, the exact words that came from God. And they have received them, and they have come to know the truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. You are all, if you believe in Jesus, you all, we are all narrow-minded people. We're very narrow-minded people. Let's face it, when somebody says we're narrow-minded, the answer is yes, we are very narrow-minded. Because why? Because Jesus was narrow-minded. He was open to talk to everybody, he was open to discuss with everybody, and he would talk with everybody, as we should. But he was very narrow-minded, is saying, are there many ways to heaven? Eh, you're wrong. There's only one answer. Jesus is the only way. He has said that over and over again, and that's what makes these disciples so special. That's what makes us so special. Not because you're special, and not because I'm special, but because God has deemed us to be special. Nothing for us to pound our chest, nothing for us to gloat about, just for us to find an unbelievable sense of humility. Verse 9, I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they're yours. Notice this priestly intercession. You hear the words? Jesus is praying. He's bringing them before the Father, bringing us before the Father. He says, all mine are yours and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world. Notice how Jesus is still sitting there, but really, technically, he's gone. He's going to be gone, and he's gone for us. I am no longer in the world, but they're in the world, and I'm coming to you, or going back to where the Father, where Jesus came from, and he says this profound thing, Holy Father, because Jesus is, I mean, God the Father is completely other. That's a technical, theological term. How do you talk about who God is? God is holy. What does that mean? He's completely other. He's completely different than anything you and I can ever know. 
anybody ever asks you what the holiness, what, who, who God is and, and what it means by his holiness, especially a pastor or somebody, you can say, he's completely other. And they'll go, wow. Because they'll understand what that means. He says, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, so that, so that they may be one, even as we are one. Again, that's just profound. I can't explain that. Can't explain how. We are one with the Father, as Jesus is one with the Father. But that's a gift that God's given to us. That's deemed our gift by God himself. That we may be, because we are the possession of God. And he redeemed, he redeemed us, and he, he, he thinks that we're precious. I mean, that's an amazing thing, that we're told today by God that we are precious because of who Jesus is. Now, if that doesn't beat health and wealth, I don't know what else does. That we're precious people because God deems us precious. Now, some people in the world think they are special and think they are precious, and we need to break that for them by telling them who Jesus is and let the Holy Spirit break them. We don't get a hammer and pound people. We don't grab this book and smack people with it. But we let the Holy Spirit break down their footings of their foundation of all their security to come to understand, yeah, who is Jesus? Who do you think he is? You've got to deal with it. And then he says, verse 12, while I was with them, I kept them in your name. Notice, he didn't say, they were so good, they kept everything. You realize, Father, that these people really worked hard. These men worked hard. They studied their Bible every day and every night, and they prayed on their knees, and they did everything. They went to the synagogue, and they did everything. He didn't say anything like that. He says that I have kept them. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them have been lost, except the one that was never mine to begin with. And that's Judas. So that the scripture may be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, that these things I speak in the world, that they may have joy fulfilled in themselves. Because Jesus understood the shame of the cross, as the writer of Hebrews tells us, but in, but in spite of the shame of the cross, he saw the joy of it all. He saw the joy of redemption. He saw the joy of eternal life. He saw the joy of happiness. He saw the joy of us being redeemed. In spite of the pain that he was going to have. I've given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of this world just as I am not of this world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world. Don't you wish that Jesus get me out of this place? Just get me out of here, Jesus. I've got to get out of here. I can't stand this place anymore. Well, you and I know that we're part of the problem, too. You know, the reason why the world is, as, you know, as one great philosopher said, you know, I am the problem. The, reason, the problem with the world is me. And so Jesus isn't saying, no, I'll take you out of this. He is saying, no, Father. I, he says, I am not telling you to take them out of the world, but I want you to keep them from the evil one. Why? Because we prayed it today, about the, in, in chapter 4, that the, the cunningness, the craftiness, the lies, the false doctrine, all that's out there. And didn't, in the garden, did God really say? And then in the desert, Satan to Jesus, oh, just jump, Jesus. Because it's in the Bible, it says that God will send his angels. And so you won't even hurt your little toe. So you see, the deception is from the evil one. He's worrying about us. Peter, I'm praying for you because Satan wants to sift you like wheat. No, aren't you glad that Jesus is interceding for us? Aren't you glad that Jesus is protecting us? Because I'm telling you, I'd be long gone if it depended upon me. Because sometimes this Christianity just gets to be too much. Sometimes it's overbearing. Sometimes it just takes too much for me, Lord. I just, I'm supposed to do this for this guy, and I'm supposed to act like this, and I'm supposed to say this, and I'm supposed to feel this, and I'm supposed to love him in this. No, I want justice. I want somebody to pay for my pain. I don't deserve this. The guy down the street's worse than I am. Give it to him. That wonderful saying, better you than me. What a loving Christian saying that is, is it not? It's like trick or treat. Better you than me. Wow. 
We got people in my family say that all the time. I want to strangle them. Better you than me. What a loving thing to say to someone. He says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but keep them from the evil one. They are not of this world, right? We're aliens and strangers. Didn't we go through Peter and say, oh, you guys are sojourners. You guys don't belong to this world. What belongs to this world? As John tells him, he says, for all that is in the world, chapter 1, chapter 2, verse 16 of 1 John, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride in possessions is not from the Father, but is from this world. He wants us to realize that we cannot live like that. We cannot live by those kinds of appetites. I didn't say that you and I don't have those appetites. Because i got to tell you, I got them. You got them. But he wants us to separate ourselves, or as he's going to say, sanctify them, Lord, consecrate them. Meaning that as a hammer, a shovel, a candle, a bath, a, a basin, uh, uh, any kind of uh, artifact that they had in the temple was what? sanctified and consecrated. Why? Because it was different than every other utensil and every other thing that was out in the world. It wasn't that it was special for that place. It's, you know, God didn't make them special for that. They're, they're out there in the world. People are using them every day, but they are special and consecrated because now they're for the purposes of God. And that's who we are. You and I look like everybody else driving their cars past here today. But you know what? We are not living for the purposes of ourselves. We are now called to the purposes of God. So that takes us out of this world. It separates us from all other appetites because those people don't have those appetites. But folks, when the Holy Spirit comes and lives within us, we have that appetite. Praise God for that desire and that hunger. Because before, we were under the wrath of God and the demands of God. Now... We are under the desire to please God. Changes how that appetite is looked upon. So he is saying to them, he says, live out of this world. You don't take, go out of this world, but don't live for this world. He says, sanctify them in verse 17. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. So then how are you and I consecrated? How are you and I purified? How are you and I out of this world? By this very book. That's what makes coming to church so special. That's what makes the Reformed tradition of the Bible, the proclamation of the Word, and the sacraments makes it so different than every other organization on the earth because those sacraments are signs and seals. And this Word is the Word of God, the very words of God that God gave us, not the Lagos, but you've heard the word rhema. These are the very words of God that He has given to us so that we are washed by them, but it also tells us that we are different. And if we are different and we want to be different, we better look and act differently. That's what makes this different. That's how we are taken out of the world. We are in the world, but we do not live by the world anymore. We do not live for the world anymore. We are now consecrated and sanctified, totally set, separated from the world because we are different. And that's why he says, the world hates us. The world hates people. We hate different people sometimes. And we are different because we represent who God is. He goes on that verse, and what he says here in verse 19, and for their sake I consecrate myself. What does he mean by that? I thought Jesus was holy. I thought Jesus was pure. I thought Jesus was, was, was completely different already. He is talking about he is going to do something that nobody else could do. And what is that? Die upon the cross. He is totally doing something that no other priest could fulfill. He is consecrating himself for being the sacrificial lamb. But a man, a person, a human being, that someone's life had to be given, and God took his because his was perfect. And then he says, that they may be sanctified in the truth. Again, the word of God means everything. People who are not students of the Bible, people who do not want to be around solid 
teaching and not good stories and not feel-good situations, but the truth of God, to go through verse by verse and chapter by chapter and book by book, do not want to be sanctified. Do not want to be taught the truth. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through whose word? The disciples, the apostles' word. And how do we, we have it right here? It's not something, you notice, it's not a special revelation. It's the word that Jesus gave, which has been closed. Nobody else can give us any more words of Jesus. If somebody finds something else someplace else, it's not true. And he says in verse 21, that they may be one, just as you and I, Father, are in you, are, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may be also in us, so that this is the purpose why we have this relationship, not because we're wonderful people, but because the world, so that the world may believe that Jesus has been sent by God. The glory that you have given me, I have given them. I just think this is profound. That they may be one even as we are one, and I in them, and you and me, and they may become perfectly one. This is the calling of the church, to desire to be deacons to one another, to be servants to one another, to love one another, to forgive one another, to be merciful to one another. Because all of those things embody who God the Father is, and what Jesus died for, and what the Spirit of God has applied in us, so that we may glorify the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit by the very nature of Hope Church existing. That's a profound privilege and a profound responsibility that no one, no one can stand up and say they can do that. That's why we need to get together and ask through prayer and through humility and through fervency of our relationship with God and each other to God make that work. Father, I desire that they also, whom you've given me, may be uh, with me where I am to see my glory, so that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Notice, he's prayed for himself, he's prayed for the disciples, the apostles who are with him, and now he is praying for you and me who are going to hear this word and who are going to come to him and who are going to follow him because he is saying everything that the apostles got, we got except for divine revelation, because none of us can write the Bible. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know you. And I've made it known, I made that known your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. The reason why we exist is to glorify God. The reason why we exist is because God loves us and called us out of the world. And the only reason why we can stay together, it's not because how hard you and I work, it's because how much love the Father has given to us that he keeps us and prays for us. And he's got us in the Holy of Holies and that we can go there and pray for each other because as Peter writes to us, we are now what? As was the Reformation, came out of Martin Luther. We are a royal priesthood. We now are all priests. We can bring before the Father. We can stand before the Holy of Holies. Why? Because I don't go into the room and put a costume on. Because I stand there in the name of Jesus, who is righteousness, who is the truth, who is everything that God wants us to be by His grace and by His sake. Nothing we can carry there because our righteousness, if we bring our righteousness, what does God call it? Filthy rags or manure or really a pretty, you know, something that is really ugly. So we don't go in there with our own merit. We stand there, we go to the Holy of Holies, we pray for each other. That's why, as Daryl prayed, how important prayer is. We get so lost, we get so caught up, we get so tired, we get so beat up, we just sometimes wonder if it's worth praying, or we throw little prayers out, or we don't work at our prayers. I know it. I'm there with you all. That's why we need a community, as he has promised to give us, and he has died for, and given his life for, and has gone through this great length, left eternity for, so that you and I can love one another here, and by his grace, point people to who Jesus is. That's the church. 
That's who hope is supposed to be. That's who hope should strive to be. That's who you and I as individuals in this church ought to be. That's why church membership, that's why being a part of the, 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 uh, the, the leadership of the church, that's why being a part of this organization or this organism called the church is so important just based upon Jesus' priestly prayer. It means so much. As one person said, we cannot have God as our father if we do not have the church as our mother. It just doesn't happen. So that's all in, I know, a long time. But that's all of chapter 17. And so you can see all the themes that are in there that some people could spend 40 sermons on. Because there's lots here. But I'm praying that you see how the dots are connected in Jesus' prayer. How you see how, and just break it up in passage. One through five, you know, is God, Jesus praying for himself because, he's, because he has an ulterior motive, and that's to glorify the Father. And then he prays for the disciples that are in his presence. And then later on in the last several verses, he prays for us. Jesus is praying for us, and that's what we hopefully take out of here today. That he loves us more than we can know. He he's, just does, and we don't remember that. That's why we have this place to come. That's what he's called me to do, and I pray that you join me. In that asking God to forgive us <laughs> for when we have failed and thank God that he has not disowned us and thank God that he has ke- is keeping us. Uh, deliver us from the evil one. Let's pray. Dear Father, we do pray as we are wrapping up this segment of our week and of our service as we have been again inundated by so many words that we pray that the rhema, the very words that you have given to us through your spirit and through your son Jesus and through the uh, superintendence and the power of the Holy Spirit by the writing of the apostles, that, Father, we do not need any more revelation, that we do not need any more evidence, we do not need any more word from God to be obedient, to be joyful, to be people who have a purpose in life. Father, I I thank you for the forgiveness that you continue to show us by our lack of and our omission of. And yet, Lord, to be told that you're praying for us and that you look upon us as forgiven and redeemed and washed and holy. Lord, we don't understand that. But someday, as John writes to us, this love that you have lavished upon us is something that we can't understand. And yet, Lord, that someday we will see you for who you are because we then will be like that. Lord, I thank you for the hope that I can, I can give the people here today, for the hope that I can continue to be for my mom as, and for those who are, who are looking at the end of their life, for those who do not know when the end of life may come, that, Father, they will find themselves pleasing in your sight because of their love for you, Jesus. Give us this ministry, this mission that Jesus desires for us to have. That we not glorify ourselves, that we not glorify Hope Church, but that we glorify you, Lord, and that you would take care of all the rest. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. May the mind of Christ my Savior.